Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start... Your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Yes, Joel. Five listener questions like we do on every Ask HTM episode. Uh, a couple that we're going to cover on this episode are uh, pet insurance. Uh, you know, that's something that more and more folks are having to ask themselves. Like, should I have pet insurance for my cat or for my dog? So we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Because it's expensive, but also so are healthcare costs if you don't have pet insurance. So where do we land on that? We'll get to that in a little bit. And we're also going to answer a question about how to reduce the minimum monthly payments on student loans. So we're going to talk about a couple of ways to do that, as well as three other great questions. And we'll get to all those questions uh, here in a little bit. Yeah, a lot of good questions on this episode. As usual, man, our listeners, they're smart and they've got just really intelligent money questions and they've got really big decisions yeah. that they're making. And I'm just glad that we can play a part in kind of helping them make a, make a wise decision. At, yeah, and they're just relatable as well, too. I mean, there's things that people are asking. And I'm like, man, that's just something that I know I've had in the back of my mind, but I haven't quite put my finger on it. Right. And so, you know, when we get those questions sent to us via email, it's a wonderful way for us to answer those questions, but hopefully provide some value to you, all of our listeners out there. Yeah. So when you have that question in the future, or maybe even right now, it can help you at the same time. And Matt, before we start tackling these questions, I think it's just kind of funny, like at the, towards the end of last year, you were doing a lot of work for, for us because as this podcast has grown, we've had some bigger decisions we've had to make. And, and you in particular were kind of trying to help us figure out how we do payroll for well, this new small business that we've got essentially here. Yeah. You're talking about those small business growing pains, right? Yeah. It's a good problem to have. It's, it's kind of... I mean, we, we don't talk about the actual show as a like sort of a little side hustle and, and now an official business. We don't do that often. But we've talked a little bit about corporate structures before and you know, like how S-Corps are great. And now that we're more official, man, yeah, we need to get set up on payroll, doing things like that. And this is a discussion you and I had where I said, I'm, I'm basically happy to do payroll and I'm very interested in doing it myself, not using one of the software programs that are out there. Which is funny because yeah. these software programs have gotten so much better recently. There are some great companies out there yes. making it so easy for small businesses 
to do payroll and to provide small business 401ks and stuff like that. If you run your own small business, it's only gotten a million times easier in the last five years. Exactly. And so the question you know, that we need to ask ourselves... But you want to make it harder by doing it yourself. <laughs> exactly. I mean, And obviously, we're going to save some money every month. But it's not really about the money. For me, it's about... Like, I'm a nerd, right? Anytime we talk about budgets and spreadsheets, I'm the guy that I'm doing everything on Excel because I want to see... And I want to feel every single number when I reconcile those accounts and, and when everything balances out. I want to feel that when it comes to our business as well. And, and so for me, like, I actually do gain a certain amount of value and as nerdy as this sounds, enjoyment out of kind of balancing the books and figuring out like, how does this actually work? Like, how much do we actually owe the government? Oh, wow. That's more than I thought. <laughs> it's stuff like that. And so the reason to talk about this is that I'm not doing this because it's, it's to save us money, right? I think there's a lot of times that folks, they do things and they're not totally sure why they do it. Maybe they kind of get lost in the habit of doing something. And so they ask themselves, well, how much am I actually saving here doing this thing that I don't enjoy? Well, if that's you and if you're in that situation, well, you know, if it doesn't cost very much, stop doing the thing that you don't enjoy, right? Yeah. But if you actually analyze the situation and you and you see that, oh, I am gaining some value from this. Oh, I'm learning something. I think that's a case where you're not being cheap, right? Like a lot of times we say, am I being frugal or am I being cheap? If you're only looking at the dollars and cents, this could be an instance where maybe we're being cheap. But for me, I see this as a way that I'm able to, to learn something new challenge myself a little bit, really understand the process. And you know what? Down the road, we might end up going with one of those softwares because I might not really enjoy the whole process of, of doing payroll. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, a couple months ago, we did an episode about the future of small business. And we talked about how technology is helping small businesses thrive in a way that you hear the naysayers, you see the headlines, and it seems like small businesses are doomed and that technology is only benefiting the biggest businesses around us. But that's just not true. And in particular, when we look at services like payroll service, it used to be really, really prohibitively expensive for a small business to set up payroll. And now there are these companies that are doing a really good job serving small businesses for just so little money. And a couple of our favorites, we really like QuickBooks and we like Gusto. And yeah, Gusto. Maybe it's Gusto. That's how I like to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, we might end up going with somebody like Gusto. Uh, we're, we're not sure. It depends on how this plays out and how difficult it is for you yeah, to actually yeah. do it. But I'm willing to give it a shot. But I love that you're willing to give it a <laughs> shot. And you know what? If you like it, that's cool. And it saves us, you know, not a ton of money, but a little bit. And, and either way, I think even if we do sign up with a service, like you know what questions to ask and you know, you'll know more about it. You'll have your head around it. Just like I think, you know, when we talk about hiring a financial advisor, we're not typically huge fans of people hiring a financial advisor. But either way, whether you hire one or you do it yourself, there is a lot of research you need to do. There, you need to be informed. You need to yes, know what questions yeah. to ask a financial advisor you know, before you walk in the door. Hiring someone else doesn't let you off the hook and give you the ability to neglect knowing some of the things you need to know about money, finances, and investing. So yeah, I think of it in the same way. You're going to learn something invaluable, even if you're not like doing the payroll by hand for us for right. the long term. And we, and we do move on. It's, it's not a bad thing for you to know more about. Yeah. By next quarter, I might want to just hit that easy button because I got other stuff I want to do, like ride my bike or something. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Joel, you want to introduce the beer that we're going to have this episode? Sure, Matt. Yeah. Today on the show, we're drinking Toppling Goliath Brewing Company's King Sue. It's a double IPA. And listener Joe sent this one our way. This beer has quite a reputation. It's got some really sick can art with like a T-Rex on the front. So yeah, I'm really excited to have this one on the show with you today, my friend. Yeah, this is one of those beers that people seek after. So I am honored to be able to enjoy one of these with you, buddy. And we're going to, yeah, we'll give our thoughts on this beer at the end of the episode. All right, Matt, let's get to our listener questions. And just a quick note for anybody who wants to submit a question for us to use on the show. Well, there are simple instructions for you to create an audio question and send it our way at howtomoney.com slash ask. And our first one is a really interesting one about buying a car or renting one. Gentlemen, this is Jim from Lompoc, California. I've been doing my research and I'd like your take on this. My family of four owns one car, a 2013 Ford Focus with less than 40,000 miles. Our boys are still small at ages five and six. We commute solely by bike around town with them on cargo bikes. The Ford is used for out-of-town trips with few in-town exceptions. It's paid for and cheap to own. However, our family is outgrowing the focus. We take road trips a few times each year for various bicycle adventures, camping, backpacking, and so on. The Ford is just too small for four people with all our bikes and gear. 
My question is, would it be more financially advantageous to rent what we need for each trip for a week up to the three weeks we travel, which could be anywhere from a thousand miles to as many as 5,000 miles for a single trip or buy a used late model, for example, a 2017 Subaru Outback? The Focus is cheap to own in all areas when compared to buying a new to us, use larger vehicle. If we rented an SUV or minivan for various road trips, we would keep the focus for short, local, inner-city travel. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, and thanks for the show every week. Jim, that's a great question. I love kind of starting off with a listener who also shares our love for cargo bikes, man. Yeah. Cargo bikes. I think it's been too long since we've talked about how much we love not just bikes, but cargo bikes, especially. Yeah. Especially when you're hauling your kids around like Jim is, like we are. They can be a lot of fun and they can also save you a lot of money. I think one of the reasons that Jim's car has so few miles on it (laughs) is because he's using his cargo bike so dang much. He said under 40,000 miles on a 2013 vehicle. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Pretty, pretty great. By the way, Jim's audio was so good. I had to email him back and ask, like, why is your audio so ridiculously clear? And it's because he has his own podcast, by the way, he said, and it's called the Trailer Junkies Podcast. So if you're super into film, check out Jim's podcast. Well, Joel, you and I, we both uh, we both have little kids. What's the last movie you saw in the theater? Frozen 2. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, man. Oh, my gosh. I can't remember the last adult movie I saw, but I definitely remember <laughs> Frozen 2. Yeah, well, man, back to cargo bikes for a second as well. If you've never seen a cargo bike, just picture uh, a bike kind of stretched out and there's just room either on the back or in the front of the handlebars where you can haul kids or cargo, you know, groceries, stuff like that. But Jim, you know, we're lucky enough here in Atlanta that that Joel and I are both able to bike for the vast majority of our in-town trips. And your question specifically is a great question because this isn't something that folks uh, often consider. Renting a car for, you know, you said these two to three trips, this can be an awesome money saver instead of buying a newish car and then having the associated payments, the insurance to go along with that newer car. I think this is an awesome approach to take. So yeah, let's kind of dive into it, Joel. Yeah, man. I feel like this is something that we considered a little bit when we bought our new minivan. It, it was... Well, our old minivan. It's like, it's a 2006 and it was kind of new to you guys. Yeah. It was like, can, can the car that we currently have work for us for our, we take more in-town trips with the kids. So it just didn't make sense for us. But if it was just about long distance trips, we totally would have considered just doing the rental thing. But for us, it just didn't work out. And I kind of want to suggest exactly that for Jim, looking at a car that is not just a couple years old, but is a good bit older than that. Uh, I think if you're buying just a slightly older car, and ditching the focus, well, you're going to run into the problem of, of spending too much money for a car that you don't necessarily need all that often. And it stinks to have something that is often just sitting in the driveway that's depreciating in value so much. Everything is cheaper about this decision. It totally makes sense that you would want to upgrade and get a newer vehicle. Uh, but I think if you can stick to a 2013 or older, then that's going to be the sweet spot for you to actually buy the new vehicle and not have to rent a car every time you go out of town. And basically, it allows you to put money towards the things that you do value, like those camping trips, like going on even more excursions as a family. Or bikes. <laughs> or another bike. <laughs> yeah, it allows you to kind of make those decisions if you don't have a fifteen dollars or $20,000 car that's just kind of sitting there and and quickly losing its value. Yeah, I love that, Joel. And I mean, and even going back further than something that's just a few years old, right? Like, I mean, you guys have an 06. Uh, I think looking at vehicles that are at least 10 years old, like that also allows you to take advantage of the maintenance cycles a little bit, right? And so if you get a vehicle that's closer to 10 years old, that's typically when you need to kind of have the, the timing belt replaced and or have the timing chain worked on. And that's a really expensive thing. And so, you know, you can get an older vehicle for a lot less money that's running really smooth and can be super dependable. Yeah, where the, the previous owner has done a lot of that yeah, work for that you. needed to be done anyway. And I think, though, if the decision is between literally buying a couple-year-old vehicle, a 2017, 2018, or renting a car the three times a year you go out of town, I think it's a slam dunk to rent that SUV or van for every family trip. It just makes sense. And that's because depreciation is the biggest cost in car ownership. And so if you can avoid that depreciation, keep the focus for your in-town trips, and then just rent this car three times a year, 
you're going to save a ton of money in your budget every single year on car costs by doing that. Yeah. Oh, and another thing too, by renting, man, is that you, you don't have that stress of having a vehicle that you have to count on to get you across the entire Southwest, right? Yeah, true. And on top of that as well, like you have the option to rent different vehicles where you're able to essentially try out some some different makes and models and see which one you really like, right? Like you might be drawn uh, to the Outback, like you mentioned the Outback, because it kind of has this heritage, like this legacy of adventure. You know, like like folks who are into the outdoors, like they like Outbacks. Sure. I like Outbacks. But like you might find that you actually need a full-size SUV with your growing family, you know, with all your gear and like everybody's got their bikes, maybe even multiple bikes, who knows. I, I see that as another benefit of, at least for now, renting for a little bit longer as that might allow you to kind of figure out what vehicle you truly want. Yeah, man, I think you and I, we are on the side typically of driving older vehicles, not buying the two or three year old model, but buying a seven or eight or 10 year old model, because that's where the real savings is, because those vehicles are almost fully depreciated out and you're not losing massive amounts of money every month. And then I, I think it's an astute observation by Jim, though, that renting a car for those bigger trips, as opposed to buying something like we always think that we need to own the thing that we use occasionally. And that's just not true. And I think Jim's on to something and a lot of us could benefit from that observation that we can potentially rent things that we use sparingly far more frequently in our lives, as opposed to buying them and having them always and then yeah. having shelled out the money for it, or potentially in the case of a car, continually shelling out money for it. So I, I like where Jim's head's at. And hopefully he's either A, going to buy an older car or B, just going to rent that car when he needs it. And he can continue to hang on to that 2013 Ford Focus that he has under 40,000 miles on. That's kind of a, a gem in its own sake right there. Yeah, so. that's going to last so. quite a while longer, I believe. The boys are going to learn how to drive on that car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. It's still going to be around 10 or 15 years from now, that's for sure. <laughs> totally. All right. Well, Joel, we've got a few more questions, including one about a Roth IRA. And we're going to get to that and another question right after the break. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes. For instance, that's something we've been in the middle of, but it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000. 25 and one. That's right. Yeah. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on 
I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry, Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Matt, we're back from the break. And the first question is about a tricky little rule associated with the Roth IRA. Hey, Matt and Joel. Jason here from the beer-rich region of the Front Range in Colorado. Hey, thanks for all the awesome advice and for keeping me company during my travels. I really like what you guys are doing. I've been grappling with this question for a couple of weeks now and keep getting conflicting answers, so I'd appreciate your thoughts. Is it possible to pull money out of my Roth IRA prior to a five-year holding period if this money is exclusively post-tax contributions and without any earned dividends? Paying a penalty on a 401k or traditional IRA rollover makes sense to me because it's pre-tax dollars. However, if your Roth consists only of your own post-tax money, Shouldn't you be able to withdraw that any time free of charge because you've already paid your taxes on it? I imagine new investors such as myself would be more motivated to pay out the yearly maximum, knowing that if we find ourselves in a real bind, this money is always available. And thanks again for taking my question. If you ever find yourselves in the Denver-Boulder area, please take me up on a tour of our finest local breweries. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Appreciate it. Hey, Jason. Yeah, you certainly do live in a beer-rich region. You mentioned the uh, the front range. Joel, have you ever heard of that term before? Because I've never heard of the term. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't either. And I kind of nerded it out. And so I looked it up. And it's the stretch of mountains from Casper, Wyoming down to Denver. And there are a lot of good breweries there. <laughs> Tons of great beer. It's also just a beautiful place. Anytime I make it out to Colorado, I, I enjoy the beer and the beauty. And hopefully it's not too long before I get out there again. But let's get to that tricky question, Matt. And and Jason is right. There is a rule that's called the five-year rule in regards to a Roth IRA. And sometimes it confuses people. Uh, So let's kind of get into it. First, Jason, your question about withdrawing the money that you contributed to your Roth at any time. Yes, you can. So here's an example. If you put $6,000 into your Roth today and you decide to withdraw every single penny of that amount that you contributed the very next day, that would be fine. You would not be subject to any penalties from the IRS and you would not be in trouble for violating any rule. That's why the Roth is such a great account. It's got this amazing flexibility for folks that want to invest more money, but that might need access to those funds in case of an emergency. We dedicated an entire episode to the beauty of the Roth IRA back in episode 83. But Matt, one thing we didn't tackle in particular was the five-year rule. So you want to explain that for Jason and other people that might be confused when they hear about it? Yeah, Joel, let's do that. So the five-year rule, it's specifically about withdrawing Roth earnings, okay? Not the contributions. So for example, if you were to start a Roth at the age of 58 
You can't start taking out those earnings the very next year at age 59, when most everyone else would be able to make withdrawals on their earnings had they started five years prior to 59, right? So as long as they had started contributing before 54, you can start making those withdrawals on those earnings at age 59. Yeah, so it's really, it's a difference between contributions and earnings and when you opened your Roth. Exactly. Right? And I think sometimes like that can be a confusing thing for people. So it's important to spell out contributions are the money you put in your Roth. The earnings are whatever happens as your Roth grows. Like let's say you put six grand in a Roth and that money is invested in a total stock market index fund. And you look at that Roth three years down the road, it's worth $9,000. That $3,000 additional money are your earnings that we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. And Jason, your, your thought process is on the right track. Since you've paid the tax, you have ready access to the contributions that you've been making at any time you want. And here's the thing, for any reason you want, there are no IRS qualifications for what you can use that money for. So technically, you could raid your Roth account and you could spend it all on delicious craft beer from Colorado. That might be fun for a little <laughs> bit, but that's not something that, that we would recommend. Yeah. So Jason, if you're only really asking the question about potentially pulling out those contributions, then you're not at risk of violating the five-year rule. You don't even have to worry about it. But then it does beg the question, what are you taking money out of your Roth for? And should you be pulling money out of your Roth at all? And I think that is definitely a worthy question to consider. I would be very careful before tapping your Roth contributions. I think the Roth is a beautiful account because of its flexibility. But is it too flexible? Right. right? right. Does that easy access make it a little too simple for someone to rip money out of an investment account to spend today? Yes, it can. Uh, and so I've taken money out of a Roth before in order to get that last little bit for a down payment for an investment property. And I think that was worthwhile for me. But I do think that if we're talking about pulling money out of a Roth, you should be careful before doing so. And hopefully you're only taking that money out to fund another investment that is going to be really beneficial for you or for like a potential home purchase where grabbing some of those Roth contributions will allow you to avoid you know, fees or PMI or something like that when you do buy a home. Other than that, we would say leave your Roth money in place. Don't touch it. Leave it be and let it grow because that is ultimately what's going to help you build wealth. You don't want to mess with those Roth contributions unless it's for a really good reason. Yeah, you want to make sure that you are uh, leaving future Jason in a, in a good place. It's not all about hashtags and YOLO. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and uh, move on to our next question, Joel. Let's hear that one about pet insurance. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Samantha and I'm from Houston, Texas. I love y'all's podcast and value your opinion on saving money. So I really wanted to get your opinion on pet insurance. I don't currently have any pet insurance, but I recently spent nearly $1,000 to get my cat's teeth cleaned, one tooth removed, and some pain meds for after surgery. This was pretty shocking to me. Since I don't have any kids, my cat is pretty much my child, so her health and happiness is important to me. My work offers pet insurance, but it does not cover preventative care like teeth cleaning, which is recommended by the vet to do yearly. It also doesn't cover vaccinations, medicines, or any prior existing conditions. The cost is $10 per pay period, which is bi-weekly for me, and a deductible of $250. So with all that in mind, I'm debating if it is worth it. Hope you guys don't think I'm a crazy cat lady, but I'd love any thoughts on pet insurance or even tips to save on pet health care. Thank you for all you do. Samantha, thanks so much for the question. And you're not a, a crazy cat lady at all. You want to make sure that you're taking care of that little critter. Little of yours. feline. Yeah. If you don't have any kids, that's yeah, it really is your fur baby. So yeah, I'm totally I'm all about that. Well, I know you haven't had a cat before, right? But had, no. like, did, has your family ever had a, owned a cat like when you were younger? Sorry, Samantha, but my mom hates cats. Oh, really? Yeah. So we've never had a cat, although we've got some really good neighborhood cats. My neighbor across the street has this awesome cat named Fergus. So he's kind of like our neighborhood mascot. He comes over all the time, just like hops in the house. So I feel like we really we kind of have this part time Inside cat. the house? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's I super sweet. I would not be down with that. Because there's, there's fleas, right? With neighborhood cats, they're outside a lot. No, but he belongs to my neighbor next door. So he's inside a bunch, but okay. she lets him out and, well, and he'll roam. And yeah, he, he he's the, the fattest cat I've ever seen. <laughs> He just hangs out in the house and just wants his belly rubbed. Yeah, well, further down the street where we are from you guys, we have a few uh, neighborhood cats as well. But I don't know how much time these cats spend indoors versus outdoors. So there's no way I'm going to let that cat inside my house. Man. <laughs> We're not cat people. 
Plus, I'm a little allergic. But they do keep the rats and the mice at bay, which is the number one reason that I am all about these neighborhood cats, for yeah, sure. They can be helpful in that way, for sure. All right, Matt, but let's get to Samantha's question. While you and I don't have cats, uh, we have owned dogs before, and pet insurance has grown in popularity in a major way recently. And it makes sense because the costs of healthcare associated with owning a pet can be astronomical. And it's no surprise, too, that like Samantha has access to, more employers are offering that as an additional benefit, pet insurance for their employees. But is that pet insurance worth it? And I think that's the heart of Samantha's question. So Matt, let's get into it. It, it, it can be complicated, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's just so much to consider when you are deciding if, if that's something that you're going to get for your pet. One of the reasons for that is because pet insurance can also be really expensive. Just like with our own health insurance, we need to know the fine print that's involved, right? Make sure that you know the exclusions. You want to know the payout limits. Sometimes there's waiting periods and you want to make sure you know what is covered. Like you mentioned, sometimes dental isn't included in this pet insurance. And today, it's worth knowing that the average pet insurance premium is about 600 bucks a year. And the average annual claim is only uh, about $300. So on average, it's definitely not worth it. But of course, you know, it depends on each individual case. Pet insurance, it can be helpful if your pet is prone to different health issues, or if you know you have a breed that is more likely to get sick. In that case, pet insurance can make some more sense. Yeah, Matt, and Samantha specifically mentioned that how much she's going to have to pay for this pet health insurance. And it's going to be roughly 250 bucks a year because her employer subsidizes that amount. Whereas if she had to go on the open market and buy her own plan, she's probably looking at much higher premiums. So I think in her case, it makes a lot more sense because of the low price that she's going to be paying for that insurance. Yeah. And for everyone else out there who may not have subsidized pet insurance, rather than only looking to the pet insurance, we would recommend to make sure that you're shopping for services like routine care and look for more affordable places to get vaccinated when you can. Maybe you can look to a veterinarian school. There's a list of different organizations that the Humane Society has vetted to help with bigger pet healthcare costs. Man, back in the day, we would get our dogs shots at this traveling shot clinic. It was essentially like a pop-up and they would open their doors at the local church just right down the street from us. And we would go in there, super low cost. You kind of wait in line because it's it was, they're only there for a few hours. It's super legit, but you just walk in, get everything done and you leave and you're good to go. Uh, I loved it because it was completely in our neighborhood and it was just an incredible way for us to save money. Yeah. Looking at that list can be really helpful. There are also, let's say you need meds. Well, there are cheap and generic medication lists for animals at Target and Kroger. So if you're ever you know, filling a prescription for your pet, it makes sense to look at those lists first. But ultimately, if you're willing to look around, do a little bit of digging, you can cut the cost of healthcare for your pet just by being a little proactive. And also it's important to mention, uh, but it's also kind of an awkward thing to say, is, is that you can have a conversation with your vet about what care is necessary for your pet and what the costs are and potential discounts are ahead of time. And like Matt, you just mentioned, it's not terribly dissimilar from human healthcare. When we're talking about the things that we're going to have done, well, we want to make sure we're healthy and not cheaping out, right? But we also have to advocate for ourselves at the same time and make sure that we're not just getting tests run just because. And, and if you have a great local vet, they'll take the time to explain why something is or isn't necessary. And they might actually help you avoid some of these costs. So if you decide to not opt for health insurance in particular, it makes sense to do a little more asking and do a little more digging before you have certain things done for your pet. Yeah, I love that, man. We, we have to advocate for ourselves in all areas of our life and including those of our pets as well. Ultimately, though, uh, pet insurance, it's best to take care of those different major illnesses that you hope actually never happen, right? But if you are a good saver and you've got a robust emergency fund, we would skip the insurance altogether, right? When the average claim is 300 bucks a year, it's not too difficult to set aside $25 a month and forego that insurance completely, self-fund, self-insure. And for most folks out there, you're going to be able to save a lot of money. And real quick, the people that we think pet health insurance might be most helpful for, people with aging animals that have health issues, breeds that are specifically prone to health issues, and also when you have access to a subsidized plan with cheaper premiums, those are the times when pet insurance makes the most sense. But for most people out there with mostly healthy pets, pet insurance just doesn't usually make sense. The numbers just don't make sense and you're actually going to be a net loser. And so yeah, just beef up your e-fund and pay for it out of pocket. Nice. That's right, man. All right. We've got a couple more questions. We're going to talk about how to approach 
multiple savings goals that you have while also trying to stick to the debt snowball plan. And we're also going to talk about student loans. So we're going to cover those right after the break. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little healthy kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid Kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, Matt, we're back from the break. And now it's time to take a question about how you think about the debt snowball process when you're thinking about buying a home. Hey, guys, this is Matt from Orange, California. I have a debt payoff question. Currently, I am saving to buy a house paying off my student loans, and some other random debts. I am using the debt snowball method to pay everything off. At my current pace, it should take about four to five years to be completely debt-free. I have enough saved to pay off one of those loans right now. If I did this, it would eliminate my hard-earned down payment savings, but significantly increase my monthly cash flow moving forward. I would still have my emergency fund, but my biggest nest egg would be gone. My question is, should I keep saving for the house and be patient with the debt snowball, or get rid of the debt as soon as possible. Thank you for your time. Cheers, boys. All right, Matt, thanks so much for the question. And first off, we'd love 
that you have a plan and that you're going to be debt free in four to five years. I think that's fantastic. But first off, we've got two big questions for you. A couple of things that you want to ask yourself are, what is the interest rate? And also, how quickly do you want to buy a home? I know you mentioned doing the debt snowball, but if you have any loans with an interest rate that's a little bit higher, right? Like anything over maybe about 7%, we would recommend you to focus your efforts in knocking out that debt first. And your timeline is important here as well. You say you wanted to have a house maybe in the next couple of years. Well, if you can ax that one debt and build your down payment back up in two years, like just in time to buy a house, that seems like a good recipe for success, right? Like you're able to knock out that debt completely while also achieving this this massive goal of purchasing a home. I think that's great. Yeah, Matt, I agree. So much of it with this question comes down to Matt's timeline and how quickly he's able to build that savings back up after he pays down that debt. And I would say this, the argument for not paying the debt off and holding on to that money and making sure that you have it for a down payment when you buy a house, Matt, is if buying a home would also lower your housing costs. Then I would say keeping that down payment in hand makes a lot of sense. Like you don't want to screw that up. If it's going to lower your monthly bills and then once you buy that home, essentially allow you to put even more of your monthly income towards paying down debt, then you probably want to keep that money in hand as a down payment. And it's particularly helpful if you're at that key 20% mark uh, for a down payment amount. So you can avoid the additional expense of PMI. And Matt, I think I randomly brought up PMI earlier in the episode, but basically if you can avoid that private mortgage insurance, that can be $150, $200 a month of money that's just oozing out of your budget that you're able to claw back in by putting 20% down on the purchase of a home. So yeah, that's something really important to consider, Matt. If your housing costs are going to go down, if you're avoiding those additional fees, then you want to make sure you hang on to that money and don't pay down your debt so that you can afford to lower your housing costs when you buy this house. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing that I want to make sure we cover as well, though, is that Matt here, he's talking about the debt snowball and how that's working out for him. And we've talked about this recently, but I don't want to underestimate the psychological and emotional power of eliminating debt from your life. Joel, you kind of mentioned the argument for purchasing the home. And we talked about the argument for going ahead and paying off in particular, some debts that have a higher interest rate. Well, these things go completely counter to the debt snowball, right? And if Matt's in this situation where he sees that he's making serious traction with the debt snowball, sometimes when you spread yourself too thin and you're trying to knock out multiple goals at once, that can really slow you down. And for a lot of folks, myself included, that can kind of discourage me. And so I think when we're able to really focus our efforts, that can just go a really long ways. And so it takes a lot of knowing yourself and knowing how you might respond to setting these multiple goals out in front of you. So I do think you want to make sure that you consider how much you're bought into the debt snowball approach to paying down your debts. But Matt, like really, there's just a lot to consider. But maybe one of the things you can do is just making a list of the benefits of each option and going with whichever one means the most to you. There may not necessarily be a right or wrong answer here, but instead a solution that fits your goals the best and whatever it is that you want to achieve in the next few years. Yeah, Matt, I think what you said about a single-minded focus is really powerful and really important. And I think sometimes when we try to do two things at once, we do neither thing well. And so more than anything, I think Matt definitely needs to assess his goal first, his main goal, and then attack that as hard as he can. And if it delays buying a house, it might delay buying a house. Sometimes that's the case. Our other goals get delayed when we have another goal that we're focusing on that's even more important to us. That's great, man. Yeah. Focus on whatever's going to move the needle the most. All right, Matt, but we got one more question we have to get to. And this one is from a listener trying to lower her monthly payment on her student loans. Hey guys, this is Tegan in Anchorage, Alaska. I love your show and your advice, so I'm curious as to what you have to say about my current situation. I recently graduated with a master's of social work and I'm set to start repaying my loans in January or February. I currently work at a nonprofit and plan to do so for the foreseeable future, and so I'm planning on going for the public service forgiveness loan program. Part of this program is being on an income-based repayment plan, and right now the quote that I'm getting is way more than my husband and I can afford on a monthly basis. It also seems to me that it's in our best interest to pay the least amount possible for the next 10 years. I'm curious as to if you have any tips or tricks on how to get this minimum monthly payment down. I did read that filing our taxes as married filing separately can help so that I don't have to include my husband's income, but I'm also concerned that if we end up giving me all the deductions, then we'll end up having to pay taxes on his half. 
Most of the information I can find on student loans in the money field right now is on how to pay the student loans off in the quickest and most efficient way possible. But since I want to pay the least amount possible, there doesn't seem to be much available. I would really appreciate any advice or tips and tricks you have on this. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Tegan, thanks so much for for your question and congrats on your master's degree. It takes uh, a lot of hard work to go back to school and, and get that advanced degree. That's what I hear, but I wouldn't know. Because I wouldn't know either because <laughs> I hadn't done it. Well, Joel, actually, Tegan makes me think of Tegan and Sarah. Did you ever listen to Tegan and Sarah back in the day? I, I've heard of them, but no, I didn't. Really? Yeah. Wasn't that the same time as like Rilo Kylie and... Yeah, yeah, in that era. Uh, same genre too, right? Kind of, yeah, like indie pop kind of indie rock i will say i still listen to jenny lewis i love her music yeah well i mean she's been part of all these other different groups as well so it helps to constantly innovate keeps you relevant true true all right matt but let's get to tegan's question about public service loan forgiveness and matt we would first off say that public service loan forgiveness is a great move if you meet all the requirements and i do stress all the requirements people have had trouble actually achieving uh the the debt forgiveness at the end of their public service because they didn't meet all the check marks that are required to actually get that forgiveness. And so in the show notes, we'll post a link to where you can see all the requirements that you have to meet in order to actually get that loan forgiveness. And also one of the things that Tegan said in her question, she said for she was planning on working where she is for the foreseeable future. And I think it's really important to stress that if your goal is to achieve PSLF, you really need to commit for a full 10 years if you're going to go in that direction. If you're planning on being there five or six or even nine years, well, it just doesn't make sense to pursue that direction if you're not fully committed. Because if at the end of all those years, that forgiveness isn't there for you, then really you were kind of spinning your wheels for quite a long period of time. Well, Joel, you started just saying PSLF, which I appreciate because that is so much faster to say than public service loan forgiveness. True, true. There's a lot of syllables there. Tegan, you mentioned lowering your monthly payments. A way to do that is by lowering your adjusted gross income, your AGI, in order to lower your student loan payments. So how do you do that? You can save more for retirement to lower that AGI by contributing to a 401k, a 403b, even traditional IRAs. Those will offer you an outsized benefit, not only by lowering your monthly payments, but of course, you're socking away more money for retirement, which is a huge win. Yeah, yeah. most people lowering their AGI by saving more for retirement, it's really beneficial, but it's even more beneficial if you're trying to lower your student loan payment. It's essentially allowing you to be forgiven for even more of your student loan debt. Yeah, dude, it's seriously win-win. And we also have to mention uh, health savings accounts, HSAs, right? Uh, if you are eligible... This can be another great option for investing your money towards retirement and lowering your AGI. And Tegan did mention the option of filing separately as a married couple. And that might be a good route to go. But there's also a chance you want to forget PSLF altogether if there's not going to be much left to forgive in the end. We would suggest running the numbers with a student loan repayment calculator and we'll link to a good one in the show notes because there are a number of potential options to consider with your specific details that we don't have in hand. So run those numbers for your specific scenario and that can help you determine whether filing separately uh, instead of jointly as a married couple makes sense for you. And since there's a lot of money at stake here, we would also suggest to consider hiring a CSLP, which is a certified student loan professional to help you pick the right repayment option for you. These people are essentially experts in the field who can walk you through all the potential different scenarios, the tax implications, the debt forgiveness implications. I mean, everything. And I think you in particular, Tegan, would benefit from talking with a CSLP about your specific situation so that you can make 100% sure you're making the right decision with all of the different variables and moving parts taking place in your scenario. Yeah, man, they're going to specifically know all the different requirements that you have to meet in order to make sure you qualify at the end of those 10 years. And And, and they'll know what levers you can pull to lower your monthly payments to where you're getting the maximum amount of student loan debt forgiveness. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing. Exactly, man. And speaking of CSLPs, uh, our friend Megan, and sh- who's been on the podcast before, she has a really helpful article up on the site regarding filing separately, filing jointly when it comes to your taxes uh, and student loans. And again, we'll make sure to link to that article as well. 
in the show notes. And she is a CSLP herself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to mention CSLP because she is a CSLP. So. so really, yeah, when we had her on the show before, I mean, you can ask her anything about student loans. She knows it. And it's important to have someone like that in your court, especially in a situation that sounds as complex as yours, T. And so yeah, I would definitely suggest that for you. And that article, I think, will be of some service as well. All right, Matt, let's take it back to the beer that we had on this episode. Today on the show, we drank a beer called King Sue by Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. These guys are out of Iowa. What was your take on this beer, man? Well, first of all, why is it called King Sue? Is that a thing? I have no idea. It says King Sue, and then it's got the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex on there. I don't know what that means, but it's a good name, and I remember it, but... That's not what you asked me. You asked me what I thought about this beer. First off, I want to mention how it poured this cloudy, kind of hazy, pineapple mango color. Anytime a beer pours like that, it always gets my attention right off the bat. And I'm already stoked to be drinking that beer. But on the nose, I feel like this, this beer had a kind of a candied fruit smell to it. But then you taste it and it has that unmistakable IPA profile. It's got a lot of hops, a lot of fruit flavors going on here. It's super balanced, really delicious beer. I do feel that the amount of hops that was in this IPA, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't one of the ones where it, it totally hits you, but it kind of like snuck in the back door a little bit where it's sort of like a, almost like a little sizzle, like a little tingle on your tongue a little bit as you're drinking it. A really good beer, man. What were your thoughts? Yeah, man, I really enjoyed this one. This one's all the way from Iowa. So it's not like we have access to it here in, in Georgia. It's a, it's a smaller brewery. Yeah, they're out there in Decorah, Iowa. Is never, that how you say that? Yeah, I, I guess. I've never been there. But listener Joe was really kind to send this beer away so we could get a taste. And I think pineapple was the main flavor I got out of there, which I love in an IPA, like a really pineapple forward flavor in my IPA. And so, yeah, this beer has just this killer reputation with like the best can art and a giant T-Rex on the front. And the liquid inside just didn't disappoint. It was delicious. Everything I want in a double IPA. It was sweet. It had a hoppy bite. And so, yeah, man, King Sue, I'm going to give it a lot of love. It was a great beer. Yeah, for lucky one of these days, we can actually make it out to that specific brewery. I want to be there because they have a lot of amazing beers yes. uh, that I've never tried. And so they're very high on my list. Yeah, when you look at some of the other beers on Toppling Goliath's beer list, people are obsessed with them and they get just the highest ratings. Yes, yeah, yeah. A pilgrimage is due from yeah. us to that brewery. <laughs> I think it's, it sounds like we just need to get an Airstream and just <laughs> go around the whole country really visiting breweries and maybe that'll happen someday. Uh, but Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. And again, for people that do want to submit a question for a future Ask HTM episode, we would love to hear from you. We love taking your listener questions. It's always a lot of fun for us. Uh, so all you got to do, it's it's really simple. Follow the easy instructions on our website at howtomoney.com slash ask. Yep. You can find that there as well as our show notes where we're going to have links to a lot of the different things that we discussed specifically with the PSLF question. So Joel, that's going to do it, man. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com.
Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.